Hello, Phone Snobs. This is Phone Snobs, your podcast to teach, on teaching you to be a better film snob. I am co-founder and co-contributor James Owen. Joining us is co-founder and co-contributor Steve Himes. Hey, this is like two in a row we've done. <laughs> <laughs> this is almost like how I'd envisioned uh, this podcast going. So how are you, Steve? Yeah. Uh, I'm well. I am well. I uh, I uh, scared up some uh, some Ted Lasso talk on the Ooh. on the Facebook, and so yeah, yeah. I, and so I think that's what that's what led us here, right? Yeah, I saw you. You did kind of what I would consider a mini review, right? I mean, mini summation of like what people should find, uh, you know, take out of Ted Lasso. Which I mean, I think in your your best moments when you were doing a lot of writing, you were able to kind of make people realize what they liked or didn't like about something, whether they could articulate that or not. Uh, and, you know, and I was kind of reading it thinking like, you know, I, yeah, I get all this. I, I was not yeah. a fan of the, of the third season. There were some parts of it. I really did like, right. I've been a fan of the show overall. Um, you know, Hey, look, you know, I'm a guy who likes Kansas city. I'm a guy who likes Saturday night live. Yeah, uh, you know what's not to like about Jason Sudeikis playing this kind of <laughs> kind of goofy seeming Kansan? Which, by the way, I just want to point this out because this this also got lost, and I know no one else cares about this. But like, we remember at the very beginning of the show, not the character when he was—I think he was doing that as an NBC Sports promotion, right? It was him and the bearded coach were the coaches for the Wichita State Shockers football team, right? Which, all people who are in the know know there is no Wichita State Shockers football team. No, just like there, there's no direct flight from London to Kansas City. Yeah, also <laughs> a really good joke. <laughs> I think I'm assuming yeah. that's kind of a joke. Um, yeah, but then all of a sudden it's just like then they're just oh he's just from Kansas City. Which by the way, I mean you know for a little bit of geography, Wichita and Kansas City are like three some odd hours apart from each other. Maybe there's something. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, anyways, Jason Sudeikis from the Kansas suburbs of Kansas City, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live alum, done some done some pretty good films, done some good film work, and then kind of has this phenomenon, Ted Lasso, which I think a lot of people um, got uh, roped into yeah. during the pandemic. I think that that was the first season. Was yeah, that was the first season. Yeah, so we were all at home, panicked. Here we have this 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 guy who's you know kind of a uh, fish out of water, as they say, the American football coach going to Britain uh, to coach. Um, help me out with the team. Which team is it? Uh, AFC Richmond. <laughs> AFC Richmond. That's right. The yeah. Greyhounds. Yeah. Yes, that's our, that I remember. Yeah. And about the perceived culture clash there, but I think your interesting take, or at least I think part of your interesting take is. It isn't so much a culture clash between this character and these characters in Britain. Yeah. Right. right. That, that is, so that is one of my more developing theories. And I think, uh, um, you know, it should be said at the outset, one, one of my, uh, uh, one of my uh, weirder, well, maybe not so much weird, but more, we'll call it interesting uh, credentials in, in education. <laughs> I'm a member of the International Charles Dickens Society, and I uh, presented in London, so I've spent quite a bit of time uh, in uh, in England. And uh, one of the things that that struck that is uh, that strikes me about a lot of uh, British themed uh, 
shows is that there are like a lot of very Dickensian characters. Like it's very hard to overstate the influence of Dickens and like the whole history of British uh, British literature because it's so much a part of their national curriculum. <laughs> and the way that that kind of overlaps with Midwesternness, right? Because the thing, the thing that that struck me was that you know a large, you know, this this, this uh, series is about mental health, right? And people needing to talk about their problems. And the mm-hmm. two uh, Western uh, Western subcultures that are least likely to talk about their problems are <laughs> Protestant Midwesterners. <laughs> <laughs> in the English, right? That's really true, right? Uh-huh. And so, uh, and so, the one thing that uh, that you'll see in a lot of uh, in a lot of English literature, and I think you know, not to like broadly stereotype Britishness, right? But mm-hmm. like famously, very reserved. We are not going to talk about these problems, and we will remain. You know, uh, you know that you know the the quintessential British marriage where we spend uh, thirty years living in separate rooms because it's just too hard to get divorced. That kind of thing, right? Right. right. And you know, and in the Midwest, you know, we do have this uh, th- this kind of emotional repression where we talk, where we rarely confront. Look, it's Garrison Keeler, right? Everybody is above average. That's Minnesota nice. Well, right. yeah, I mean, I, I was just reading, I was just watching, because I was thinking about that a little bit. I was I was watching some old clip where Martin Scorsese was talking about the Coen Brothers uh, Fargo, and he referred to it. And I've never heard anyone refer to that movie as a comedy of manners. Right. And how, like, <laughs> all these people had all these nice things to say, but were just kind of yeah. generally pretty nasty under the surface. But, you know, they were still very, you know, they still had a big smile on their face and everything. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's pretty much right. And I would say that in Britishness, and especially like kind of Victorian in uh, Victorian literature, which basically still is the foundation of almost everything English that you get today in entertainment. Right. Um, there is uh, an acknowledgement that the bad thing exists. We are just choosing not to talk about it. That's what British repression is. Oh, it's bad. We're just <laughs> not. We're just not going to talk about it. Right. Whereas Midwestern American gung ho, you know, st- you know, stars and stripesy kind of thing. Like we're more. We're much more toxic positivity. Where it's almost like we double think ourselves out of acknowledging that the bad thing even exists. Because if you acknowledge that the bad thing even exists, then you can't have good old fashioned American opt can do optimism. <laughs> right. Right. And so in some ways, I I find Amer- I've I've kind of processed American Midwestern emotional repression as even more toxic than you know, like what we traditionally associate with Britishness, because mm-hmm. we don't talk, we, it's not that we don't talk about the thing. We brain melt ourselves into the bad thing, not existing. Like Ted Lasso does. That's exactly what Ted Lasso does. Because he is, I mean, you know, I think you you read a lot of stuff, which I think a lot of people are pretty critical of Sudeikis as like being too, like sounding too much like a guidance counselor, but I mean, that's masking up a lot of, because like you can think about like moments in the show 
him talking about, I think his, his father's suicide. Yeah, uh, that's right. His, his alcoholism, his divorce, his custody issues with his kids. I mean, all that stuff is like pretty heavy. And, yeah. um, and I, I don't think it, it suggests that Ted Lasso is like a happy go lucky. How can make the best. Uh Oh, was that me? Or was that you? <laughs> uh, it might've been me. I just, I just turned up. I, I had a window open to the Ted Lasso cast and I just, oh, I was gonna, if it, if it was something else, you can tell us that's okay. No, 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 no. It's a, no, it's, <laughs> I couldn't remember Sam Obasanya's, uh, the okay. yeah. so it had nothing to do with tentacles or anything like that. No. Okay. All right. That's, <laughs> but so, yeah. so, so there was like, to me, like all of that, like, and that was where the show in season two was the most interesting was when you started digging into all of that and realizing that he was not some happy go lucky guidance counselor type that was espousing off all this stuff, but really masking a lot of that, or I guess to your point, brain melting it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really an Orwellian concept. It's really double, right? Where you convince yourself that the, you know, where you hold two thoughts in your head, you know, at the at the same time, right? Everything yeah. is fine, while at the same time knowing that you haven't come to grips with your father's suicide, your own alcoholism, your failing marriage, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, you know, like when I, when you get to the end of season three of Ted Lasso, and you go back and rewatch season one. With that knowledge, there's a kind of dramatic irony here, right? Like, this was dark. Like, Ted's whole toxic positivity thing that everybody was like, oh, this is why we love Ted Lasso. This is the feel-good story that we needed in the middle of the pandemic and all that. You're like, no, 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 no. This is extremely dark because this is a man in the active uh, um, you know, process of covering up all of these deep traumas. Mm -hmm. And so, like, are we supposed, like, and so I think that just, like, casting this as, like, a sitcom completely misunderstands the level below that, uh, that Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt were really trying to get after in their conception of the three-season arc. And Brendan Hunt, in addition to being the co-creator, is also the coach. Coach Beard. Beard. Right. Willis, as we find well it. Yeah, as we find out, that's right. Yeah, I mean, so because you also look at, um, you know, the fact that in Sudeikis' own life, he's been going through a nasty split up with Olivia right. Wilde, uh, child custody issues and that sort of thing. And yeah, to the degree, it kind of reminds me, there's all these like kind of, um, well, there's kind of that generation from Saturday Night Live, Bill Hader, John Mulvaney. They're all, they've all gone through these like really nasty divorces lately and all this like personal turmoil and like how it's influenced their um work yeah. uh man we could do a whole other thing about barry which i don't think you've watched but no i've not it is uh it is another uh is another show that reminds me a lot of ted lasso to to some degree right. um but uh yeah but the, but i mean like sudeikis has obviously had a lot of stuff going on in his right. life like maybe some of that is um, you know, being kind of, I think he's kind of mirroring that in this show. Yeah, well, he does, uh, uh, not only does he do uh, Big Slick, the, you know, the fundraiser here in Kansas City for Children's Mercy Hospital. Right. Um, he also does uh, uh, Thunder Gong, which is another uh, fundraiser that he does in which he plays a character who's like kind of a heavy metal guy and it's a lot less known. Than oh, Big Slick. But they raise money for... Uh, 
uh, for uh, veterans without uh, limbs to buy uh, prosthetic oh, limbs wow. for veterans. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of this, is, you know, and a lot of these, you know, this charity work that he has done here in Kansas City comes out of uh, friendships that he still has from Shawnee Mission West. And, you know, all of the, you know, his friends have gone through like all of these things and he ends up raising money for it on the other end. And so, you know, you kind of feel like this is, you know, there, there is a lot of personality in Sudeikis in which he is seems to be one of the other subtexts of, of this is like, everybody loves Jason Sudeikis now, you know, and all this, you know, all this stuff, but it's like, like once you dig into a little bit of the life story, I think that, you know, it, it feels, it feels like this show is a man attempting to deal with his own subtext and bring that to the surface as well. Right. Like how do you, how does a Bill Hader or a John Mulvaney or a Jason Sudeikis go through what they go through and also perform what they do on Saturday night live. If that's yeah. not what Ted Lasso is in concept, then what is it? Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, Bill Hader basically, and this is just a little bit of background. I know when I'm talking about this, Bill Hader wrote Barry as this idea of he hated doing Saturday night live and had panic attacks and yeah, yeah. Like, it was traumatic for him. And it was this whole thing that he was this really good hitman on the show, but hated doing it, wanted to do something else was dying to do something else and found an acting class. And that's kind of the start of the show. It, it gets a little more darker than that moving on, but you know, because you know, you talk about Sudeikis being from Kansas city and he, uh, he does all that work with like uh, all those fundraising things with Paul Rudd, who's also from the same high school, David Koechner, who's from near Columbia, Tipton, uh, Rob Riggle, all those guys. Um, I think other than Kechner, all KU guys, University of Kansas guys. Mm. Uh, but Hader is from Tulsa. I don't know if you knew that. No, I, that, but that makes sense. Tulsa is one of the darkest places yes. I've ever been. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it takes one time, one time going through what's left <laughs> of the street right now. No. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's dark. And actually in the show, his girlfriend on the show is from Joplin. Oh, my. Mm. Yeah, and she's like has escaped an abusive relationship there, and yeah, yeah. That's a, which, by the way, there's also just for everyone watching, there is no direct flight from L.A. to Joplin as was uh, portrayed in that show either. So, fair <laughs> enough. No, fair enough. but but uh, so so okay. So Sudeikis has got this personality and kind of yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of about like maybe some of the darkness that drives people into comedy. They want people to laugh with them, not at them. They want to be able to like somehow kind of divert what they've got. And, um, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it certainly is, it is, it certainly is uh, something that, uh, it seems so like that's a common theme in the show. Yeah. And one thing that I think is interesting about that is that, is that maybe that's why I think in Ted Lasso, the characters are so good even though the plot is not. And honestly, <laughs> like that, that's another thing that you could say about Dickens, right? So yeah. Um the so let let's just start with a couple of the characters, like real quick, and then we can move into sure. some of the things where they lose the uh lose the plot. Yeah. So I love um so for me, the MVP of the of Ted Lasso is uh Higgins, played by Jeremy Swift. And you know, in Higgins. You know, Higgins, when you just he's like the business, what? he's like the head of football or head of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the, yeah. Yeah. He's and, you know, and at the remember at the beginning, he covered up for Rupert a lot. That's you know, true. Whenever. Right. 
and he was that you know and you would see him as you know he was like the man of business right like he was you know like whatever needed to be done to make the business go that was higgins and that's a pretty common character in victorian literature and especially dickens like he would have these like man of business characters who were either like 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 literally in a tale of two cities this jarvis laurie who calls them i'm the man of business but oftentimes it was lawyers And lawyers in Dickens were often like pretty evil, but occasionally you would run across like some really good lawyers. And I think that Dickens's point about like kind of British repression was this. Yes, sometimes we don't talk about the bad things, but that's because we are trying to spare ourselves of the embarrassment and the humiliation that might come with that because we're not ready to talk about it yet. And so these man of business or lawyer characters would try to talk to their clients about the bad thing, because ultimately you have to talk about a bad thing in order to get the business or the legal resolution. And it's a much more emotional thing than it is a kind of quote business thing or legal thing. And so these characters would always frame up you know, the the talk as business or legal to give them an emotional distance from the thing in order to get them to open up with it. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, you know, uh, in like, just again, like in uh, Tale of Two Cities, that's how Dr. Manette finally, you know, talks about his torture when he was in the French prison, (laughs) you know, when he was in like literal Bastille, right? Right. Um, and I, th- and I think Higgins does that all the time with Rebecca and with Coach Beard, you know, where... Rebecca being the owner of the... Yeah, Rebecca being the owner. But there's this one scene that to me gets at the, the essential core of Britishness versus Midwesternness where, uh, hate where uh, Coach Beard was getting back together with, his ab- with Jane, the absolutely toxic, hot mess girlfriend... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Right. (laughs) And Higgins is like, you can't like, you know, and they had that. He had this talk with Ted, right? He's like, you can't do this. But Higgins had to say something. But you'll notice that he didn't bring it up in the Diamond Dogs. He didn't bring it up in the office. He had this conversation out in the parking lots. And he said, like, you know, I can't remember the exact quote, but are you sure that this is a good idea? (laughs) Coach Beard is like. Um, I know it's not. I hear you. <laughs> Thank you for saying it. We're never going to talk about this again. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. And that's a real, yeah. And that uh, that's kind of, that's that gets at the real emotionality of that. And it also has something very profound, I think, to say about ma- modern male friendships too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hard. Like, especially when you're older to have like guy friends. Um, Cause I don't know, like, do you, yeah. you know, we've, we've been friends for a long time, but yeah. you know, what, what is, what do we talk about? We used to talk about movies all the time. You don't watch movies much anymore and you right. like soccer. I don't watch soccer. So what do we talk about? We yeah. talk about Ted Lasso. Cause that's got a little of both. Yeah. In, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because, and I think that's why like part of what the series was setting up it, is that at the end of the day, like the, the, you know, the emotional journey of Ted is one thing, but 
the emo- but to me, like the real love story of the thing is Roy Kent and Jamie Tart, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like that, you know, like the role model of modern male friendships that I think that this series is getting at is like Roy Kent is like the ultimate, like, you know, South London hard ass, uh, <laughs> you know, and like even, you know, the way that Brett Goldstein does the voice, right? Yeah. Roy Kent. Right. Um, but the journey that he goes on into, uh, you know, especially Jamie Tart, who, <laughs> you know, the, you know, the prima donna, right. uh, you know, the hug, right? The hug right. in the middle of season two, like that is a moment that I just don't think that you can see on an HBO style prestige drama that actually gives a model for what men should aspire to rather than the whole like kind of anti-hero thing where like the Sopranos right. and men tell us like what men shouldn't be. They kind of define the problem. Whereas I think the real triumph of Ted Lasso is that they give you a solution. And that's why I think ultimately this show is important and is going to be remembered despite all of its messy plotting and drop plot points (laughs) is that it gave through Roy Kent and Jamie Tart and Ted, like it gave you a model for what modern masculinity should be that it's not soft, that it's not, you know, uh, you know, all of those, you know, things that, you know, it's not, um, yeah, again, like it's not soft. That is that doing the really hard emotional work of getting in touch with yourself and showing that others that you care and then putting that out there, you know, like through the hug, you know, in in uh in season two, that's what ultimately made this series very important, I think. All right. Yeah, well, I wanted to get back to your point about uh, Higgins being the lawyer because it 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 may I mean kind of like that vein that kind of character because it was interesting uh, when I heard because this show was developed by Bill Lawrence who has mm-hmm. a lot of TV shows I, I think he's developed this uh, shrinking show that's also on Apple which I've not watched yet. I, it is very good okay I want to yeah. watch it I have not watched yeah. it's on my list it's on my list. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I need to get to that. Um, but uh, he did Scrubs. Yeah, the show that I think if you had Comedy Central on in the two thousands, you probably couldn't miss it because they reran it a lot. <laughs> That's where I watched it, and you yeah. know, and you notice that uh, somebody made an observation that the the uh, the characters in Ted Lasso kind of have a uh, they they kind of have a component on Scrubs. I mean, it's you know, it's it's following a little bit of a model, and and Higgins kind of follows the model of. Ted, the general counsel yeah. of the hospital. And so if you, I mean, so for you scrub fans out there, you want to go back and look at the Ted Lasso characters versus the um, scrubs characters. I think you can find like a component to each and every one of them. Um, yeah. which, so it's interesting that you made the observation that he's kind of a lawyerish type when Bill Lawrence apparently obviously thought that too. Yeah. Well, and so then, uh, so then you've got Trent, so then you've got like Trent Krim and uh, Colin Hughes, right? The Welsh, uh, the Welsh midfielder. 
um, that emo, you know, the emotion the one that came out of the yes. closet. Yeah. Okay. That's right. And that, and you know, during that, and during the Amsterdam episode where, right. uh, Brendan Hunt and Jason Sudeikis actually lived for a while in the, in the early two thousands. Um, they, uh, that scene where they were in front of the, uh, the only Holocaust memorial that is dedicated to the memory of uh, all of the LGBTQ people that were killed by the Nazis. Like it's a pretty oh, famous, like kind of gap. Yeah. That's a pretty famous okay. gathering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't that know was, that. I didn't know that was there. Okay. Right. And the way that the way that this show handled that moment and then Colin, you know, coming out at halftime. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I'm not sure that's entirely precedented in, you know, quote, prestige TV, unquote. Well, I mean, there's I mean, what do you mean? Like just how they handled it or. Yeah, like, you know, um, I feel like what Ted did, what, what Ted did in the middle of that conversation where he was like, no, Colin, we do care. Right. And then he had the whole thing. About that was a great, that was a great, that, I mean, <laughs> by the way, for anyone watching that, not knowing that there's a, some antipathy for Kansas city people to the Denver Broncos. Yeah. It's important to know. You probably figured it out. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Jamie, Jamie, <laughs> what the fuck are Denver Broncos? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but that the, the line in it, like I, I rewatched it a couple of times the other day. And when Colin turns around and looks at Ted and he said, did you just compare being gay to being a Denver Broncos? Right. Yeah. Ted, says, Ted says, yes, I think, yes, I did. And I'm sorry about that, but here's what I mean. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think the yeah, like the characters in this series are really good, and that also creates the problem with the series is that, you know, like each of the characters were so well drawn and on their own journey that, as a matter of plot, now you had to take the thirty-minute format and it came out to sixty minutes, which I often did not mind because I was into the characters and I subscribe a little bit to the Ebert uh, theory that. Well, if there's more and it's good, then what's the problem, right? But, it but I never subscribe to that theory because there's some movies that could be shorter. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And so that, uh, so I think that brings up the point that you were talking about earlier about um, um, the format and how the format changed from season one to season three, and like kind of the natural arc of the way that uh, comedies go. Right. Yeah. And how, um, you know, to me, because I, and I think, I, I think I was doing this off mic, maybe I, I was talking a yeah. little bit about the show succession, which also just, it, it, it had its series finale and this Ted Lasso could be over. It could be changing into something else. I guess time will tell they're calling it a season finale, I think is what I read. Um, but succession in its last season, there, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of dynamics that go on with each of those characters. It's a movie about kind of messy, emotional people as well. And because there was so much going on, one thing I thought that was smart that Jesse Armstrong, the, the showrunner for that did was he um, kind of made sure every episode, um, um, he kind of made sure every episode um, went, uh, you know, was kind of focused around one event, one day. And, kind of centered it there where like all the characters were kind of trapped in a circumstance and an event. And I, to me, it helped 
streamline what was going on. Whereas in Ted Lasso, you know, we got we got to go to the PR firm and then we got to go to the restaurant and then we got to go. <laughs> right. Yeah, you it know, just felt know. like it was a little un. It looked, it felt a little, it felt like a little, it was careening a little bit. Right. You know, they're um, Mad Men. So Mad Men, like every episode had a theme, whether it was stated or not. And so right. the way that that show handled, uh, you know, all seven seasons was that every single character arc within a particular episode was a meditation on the theme that was set up at the outset. And I know this will sound, this will sound a little grandiose. I actually, I actually figured out how to teach Hamlet by watching Mad Men, right? Because like once I understood, you know, the way that they had structured everything around a theme, then I would go into like, you know, then I went into Hamlet. I was like, oh, every scene here has a theme. And oh, that's yeah. <laughs> you hold, you know, it's the longest, you know, it's a four and a half hour play, right? Like right. it's the longest. Right. But and so, and it's got like like tons of plot, right? But right. the way that Shakespeare held it together was that everything had a theme. Mm-hmm. And I think some of your best prestige dramas have some sort of centering mechanism so that every episode makes internal sense and then fits squarely into the larger structure. And I think you're right that by season three, Ted Lasso didn't really have that that same kind of discipline structure. Which, I mean, which, look, I mean, it's a, it's a criticism. It's not a fatal criticism. I still watched all of it. (laughs) Yeah. I got, I, I went through, I, I watched every episode and, um, you know, there were things I liked about every episode, but there were also points where I'm like, man, this is, uh, this is losing. It's, it's, it's kind of losing its thread a little bit. Yeah. Like there was one, I just remember some of my biggest disappointments about, uh, about the plotting. Number one, early in this, the, I think it was the second season or it was when, uh, it was when, uh, Sam Obasanya, uh, had the conversation with his dad and they were uh, rejecting the uh, Nigerian airline shirt sponsor, right? Because right. of all the environmental destruction going on in Nigeria, yeah. right? And because I'm such a, you know, because such, I'm such a Premier League nerd, I was like, oh, this is, they drew this from real life where there was a, um, there was a there was a scandal back in 2012 2013 with the Sunderland Football Club. But Sunderland is like Northeast England, think like Cleveland, Detroit, that kind of thing. And the board of directors, what the the two Labour Party leaders at the time were on the member were members of the Sunderland board of directors. <laughs> the uh, Ed Miliband, the uh, uh, his brother was on the board of directors. And anyway, they had facilitated, they were labor leaders, right? But they had facilitated this sponsorship with this mysterious nonprofit called Invest in Africa. And they're like, and I was like, invent, like I've taught Heart of Darkness. I know this can't be good. So <laughs> you did. And so anyway, the New York Times dug into this a lot. And what ended up happening was the guy was the American billionaire who owned Sunderland Football Club uh, is actually from uh, Independence, Missouri. Uh, His name is uh, I have to remember his name. But anyway, long story short, they had created this module of invest in Africa as a front for their oil uh, company that was doing 
horrific environmental crimes throughout the Congo, like just opening up oil wells, letting it run into the, and mind you, the Congo is like the Belgian genocide, like the literal heart of darkness in Conrad's book. And that was what they were putting on the, as the shirt sponsors of these, of Sunderland football club. And it was the first time that we had, re- well, it wasn't the first time, but it was like one of the times that it really raised the profile of the sports, of the the use of soccer as sports washing, as like laundering the reputation of these horrible companies and and petro states through yeah. soccer. And that's just exactly the conversation that we're having right now around Manchester City, you know, winning the trouble because they're owned by uh, they're owned by the United Arab Emirates and Abu Dhabi. Right. 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 And I was like and That was why I was a little bit disappointed that they got Man City. <laughs> to do the and Pep Guardiola to do the cameo rather than Liverpool, because I was like they had something really really interesting going here with this plot point, and then they just one hundred percent dropped it after one episode. Right? Yeah. What the heck? They had a problem with that this season. I think they had these inter- they'd introduced these interesting ideas. I think Nate being you know the you know like his. I mean, like his moving to uh, a new team and then literally just getting fired and going back to being like the towel guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, like, a taste of Athens. Yeah. I was thinking to myself, like, you, had, you set up the whole end of the second season for him to like kind of be like this super villain. <laughs> right. <laughs> With his with his white hair and his new outfits and everything. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just a little, I'm just a well, conflicted. Okay, so here's her. the disappointing thing about that, right? Is like, yeah. they clearly set him up to be uh, this coach named Jose Mourinho. Who yeah. Jose, Jose Mourinho is like the super villain coach of all international football. He was the one, he was the, uh, he was the quote, special one, under quote, when he was a wonder kid, uh, manager who won the Champions League with a with a Portuguese club, yeah, back in, you know back in the late nineties, and he is just like a, a notorious asshole, yeah, you know, toxic <laughs> presence. And yeah. by the way, and this is another thing too, where Jose Mourinho just last week and was in the finals of the Europa League, and he his team lost. He's coaching Roma now. And he, they lost after his car, after his team got a bunch of red cards. He took off his second place medal and gave it to a kid in the crowd. And he, uh, he confronted the referees in the parking lot. And then the, the guy, Anthony Taylor, the referee of the match, like his family was in the airport and they got accosted by Roma fans because Jose Mourinho had unleashed these forces of darkness because he couldn't handle <laughs> losing in this extremely toxic way because everybody was like, Oh, Jose, he's getting older. He's getting softer. It was like, no, 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 no. He is still that guy and he will never change. So you're right. Like they set Nate up to be this, this super villain and never really followed through on it. Um, Yeah. And the, the thing that disappointed me about that was that, okay. So Brendan hunt actually know, like they actually know soccer. Yeah, <laughs> these guys 
Yeah, yeah. it's clear they do. Even as a non-soccer fan, you can tell like there's obvious good details in it. Yeah, yeah. Like there was this scene in uh, when they beat Tottenham in the the FA Cup when they were in the second. See, uh, you know, he Nate Nate's triple substitution after Ted had his panic attack. Like, if you actually like, like you don't know that much about the team, but if you like kind of chart it out, like, you know, Isaac play, you know, Isaac plays the number six defensive midfielder role. Sam is the outside back. Like, if you, Jamie Tart is the one commodity that AFC Richmond had that they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have had a world class striker on a Division II club, but they had one because Jamie Tart got himself kicked off a Love Island. Right. <laughs> because he was being nasty in the hot tub or whatever it was, right? right? <laughs> and what Nate did, like when he did that switch, was he like, Tart, they were beating up Jamie Tart so badly that he took the pressure off of Jamie Tart by going into a defensive shell. And then with the bet that at some point they would unleash a ball over the top to Jamie Tart and he would have like a single chance to win the game. That's the like 100% Jose Mourinho tactic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is like a famously Jose thing to do that Nate came up with on the fly to beat Jose, you know, and then there's like a number of different things, you know, times in the series where I'm like, oh, Nate came up with that because he is learning from the coach that is across the the sideline mm-hmm. from him. You know, right. like he let like Nate's false nine in the last episode. That's a Pep Guardiola topic that he got watching them lose to Man City in the FA Cup final, right? And so, like, they had done all of this work to set Nate up as this, like, tactical genius. But then they didn't even tap into any of Nate's tactical insights into the team that he had just coached and coached very well to beat West Ham. Right. No, it just it seemed like a real waste. Because I, I just thought it would that would have been more interesting, but it just kind of goes to this thing like everybody on the show, like even like the and you just said his name earlier, the the journalist that was kind of yeah, trying to get um Ted Lasso in the first season. Uh even he becomes a nice guy. He, even he becomes a diamond dog. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, like could any I mean, like other than the uh ex-husband. Who literally is just always wearing a black trench coat, <laughs> which is like obvious. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't be telegraphing or hammering us any harder than they do with him. Everybody else becomes a nice person on that show. And I mean, that's fine. But I, you know, I just, yeah, it's a lost opportunity. Well, like the, so to the characters versus plot thing, right? Like, yeah. so Becca. And Keeley's friendship, yeah, you know, passing the Bechdel test, where like, ne- like there were two fully formed power women in a yeah. mentoring relationship that only sometimes had something to do with boyfriends, but it was mostly about business, right? right. But then this whole like Jack. A thing comes in. I'm like, yeah. it could have been a little bit more narrow. And then they introduce again, they introduce this plot thing that then gets dropped that kind of took away from that that core friendship. Yeah. That yeah. was like really, you know, one of the most important things about the show. Yeah, because I think Juno Temple, who plays um oh, what's her name? Uh, Healy. Healy. She's you know, like in the past 10 years, I've you know, I've watched her in some films and she's great. She was in yeah. 
Killer Joe, which is a Tracy Letts play that uh, William Friedkin uh, directed about 10 years ago. She was in Woody Allen's last good movie, Wonder Wheel. Yeah. Um, and she's she was she's on this HBO show called Vinyl, which I really liked. I mean, she's really yeah. dynamic actress. And I, I don't I will say I did not know the actress who played Rebecca. I did not recognize her from anything else. But, um, you know, I can Game say I never watched that. OK. Did you watch that? No, I did not watch that. No, I just, no, I I watched one episode. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do with the dragons and incest stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well, uh, <laughs> I'm just yeah. never a fantasy guy, right? But anyway, yeah. um, I guess I didn't realize she was on that show. But Juno Temple is really good, and I, uh, yeah, it's always a shame to see her get uh, her character kind of got a little sidetracked. Yeah, well, and and that contrast with like, I was. I was very interested in Jade, who is Nate's, you know, girlfriend from the restaurant, right? Right. She was like, like, like she had some mystery to her. And then when she said that she was Polish, Hmm. you know, and Nate is Indian, I was like, okay, so now we've got this whole like immigrant subplot, right? Because some of the best, you know, I mean, that's the thing that is London, right? that there are so many groups from all over the world that right. have their own neighborhoods here. Um, like, I, like uh, do you remember Lady Parts that was on Peacock for a while that was about uh, the, the Pakistani women who had the heart, who had the, the metal band? I don't have Peacock, sorry. Oh, okay. Well, they, anyway, <laughs> like there's this, yeah. And I thought, you know, when the when the brexit vote happened that was you know in large part an expression of anti-immigrant sentiment outside of london at london right and so and it brings up this like really interesting uh issues surrounding not just britishness but europeanness right like i was just listening to a uh to a podcast with a with an european um um economist on who said i'm convinced that brexit would not have happened if they hadn't let romania into the european union because the toxicity of eastern europeans within that whole sphere of free movement across the eu was a large you know, anyway the the uh uh, the right wing brought up this whole trope of the quote polish plumber unquote and all of these quote Eastern Europeans flooding in and taking good British jobs. That mm-hmm. was a whole thing. And I was like, Oh, Jade's Polish. You know, she had, even though she's <laughs> like to the American mind, like white unquote, yeah. there's this really interesting idea of uh, around like, what is whiteness whiteness as property um, the in group and the out group, and then Nate as an Indian immigrant. I was like, okay, you could do something really interesting here. And Nate should go to Poland with his girlfriend. And he didn't. Yeah. You know, he stayed behind and played the violin. And I was like, that was another thing. And what, like the, like the Nigerian plot where they had a chance to do something like really interesting, but then I think blinked at it because, they either didn't have the courage or know what to do with it. And I'm like, well, if you weren't going to go through with it, you shouldn't have raised it in the first place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, because there was enough going on. <laughs> There's plenty going on. 
Yeah, but I mean, in the end, I mean, you know, like we were kind of talking about whether this is the end. I mean, clearly it is the end of Jason Sudeikis being involved with the show, which I think will be a real loss um, because he is a I think he is a funny, talented guy. But he probably wants to move on and do other stuff. Um, And so then the question is, does it live on? Does it? Does it, you know, and I kind of wonder, you know, you're talking about all this Midwestern versus um, British stuff, whether the show is as good without that. Right. Yeah, because, you know, like Roy Kent's the new coach at a new coach at AFC Richmond. And, right. you know, one of the things that I did realize, and this has been, you know, that has been kind of hard for me to be out of the classroom the last two years because I, I still self-identify as a teacher, like even <laughs> something else. Right. Like there's. And I've realized that like kind of what you're aiming for, I think, and as I've done like some teacher coaching over the last couple of years, like kind of what you're aiming for is season three, Roy Kent. (laughs) (laughs) They do. With less swearing, hopefully. Maybe. I mean, it kind of depends on your context. Okay. At at Rogersville, they didn't care. Okay. But like they do need, you do have to care, carry yourself with a, with a kind of don't mess with me air with a kind of authority. Yeah. Right? You had your but, ruler, right? Didn't you like snap a ruler? Like- uh, that was the thing, but okay. <laughs> sorry. Didn't but mean- in the <laughs> end, but in the end, they have to know that you care. Right. That caring matters more when you also carry authority and like this character of Roy Kent was able to embody that because Jamie would never have respected him. And Jamie would not have gone on the journey that he did had Roy also not gone on the journey that, that he did. So I would say to teachers out there, aspiring teachers, especially aspiring men teachers in a, you know, in a feminized space, much lighter version of Roy Kent and you're in the ballpark. I see. Well, well said. All right. But yeah, don't swear. Don't swear. <laughs> uh, and also, by the way, Brett Goldstein, I tried listening. He has a film podcast. Oh, does he? It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to it the other day because he was talking to Edgar Wright. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to hear him talk to Edgar Wright. And um, I was like, I, I am not interested in any of this. But yeah. uh, <laughs> but I think he is like kind of a he's a good writer and everything. But yeah. I don't, I, I'm not familiar with his stuff either. Yeah. Quite frankly, I, I didn't know who any of these a lot of these people were before the right. start. I did like, I you know, like other than Juno Temple and Jason Stegas, but it's a great cast. I, I, I think that the the. The the Emmy, you know, if this show is going to win an Emmy, yeah, it's going to have to be Phil Dunster for Jamie Tart. You, know, you think so? Huh? I think that I think so. I think that's it. Yeah, Wait, that, that what he had to navigate getting from like the like the worst prima donna, uh, you know, let you know, drinking your talent away you know, uh, guy to a man of like genuine character at the end, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. I mean, he, the guy, it, you know, it's, it's like if for soccer people out there who are listening, it's like if Jack Grealish turned into Vonsant company, that's it's. You might as well just have said Dune characters to <laughs> me. I don't <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but that that's my that's my that's my vote. It's, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I you know, it's I always feel like kind of smaller performances like that never get the recognition they deserve. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, well, will time will tell. I guess we'll see. Yeah. I get a Steve. All right. This was great. Um, I don't know if we have anything. I don't know if we have anything to pitch, but I know we both got to go. Yeah. So, uh, hey, if you like listening to this, uh, subscribe to any major platform, leave review, and share on your social media uh, pages. Uh, on behalf of filmsnobs.com, this is James Owen and Steve Himes wishing you a pleasant day and an exceptional tomorrow. Take care. And when everybody's telling